Welcome to Ask of Expert, helping business owners, managers, and professionals thrive in the world of modern work. Here's Polly Craig. Well, hello, and thank you for being with us. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word taxes? Well, it's probably a good thing I can't hear you right now, but it doesn't have to all be negative. And today's episode is for new and seasoned entrepreneurs alike to harness their power in the complicated world of tax law. On the surface, tax planning may feel like the absolute last thing that you want to spend your time thinking about. It can be a time-consuming, daunting exercise, especially for new entrepreneurs. But in reality, business tax planning is a year-round responsibility. And that done right will keep more of your hard-earned money in your pocket. Whether you're just beginning your journey as an entrepreneur, plotting what type of business structure yours will become, or thinking about your exit, it's good to keep your fingers on the pulse of how good tax planning can be accretive to your business success. Today's guest is seasoned tax lawyer, Scott McCamus with MLT Akins. He's here with us to shed light on some of the best practices involved in business tax planning. While there is no single answer to what is right for your business, whatever your circumstance, if you have a desire to save time, money, and stress, now and in the future, you'll want to tune in to today's episode. Welcome to the show, Scott. We're thrilled to have you here with us. Thanks, Polly. Glad to be here. You know, I asked that question about what you think about in taxes. It just seems that everybody cringes. And it is such an important thing. And it's an opportunity for us to turn it around and actually shed light on some positive things to do with tax and structure and all those exciting things. One funny thing is, you know, when I hear taxes, I always think of either an accountant or maybe a financial planner. And third on the list tends to be a tax lawyer. So let's shed some light on exactly what you do and how you weave in amongst the other professionals to provide your services. In our practice as tax lawyers, we engage with business owners in sort of all stages of their life cycle, from from starting up their business to building and growing it, to moving into the later stages where they're thinking about succession planning and and retirement and, and exiting the business. Pretty much every client needs an accountant. They're in touch with their accountants several times a year and and accountants have a lot of knowledge in the tax area. And tax lawyers can be brought in, certainly, to, to we work very closely with tax accountants and, and general accountants on all sorts of important events like mergers and acquisitions, reorganization of a business. Sometimes if people have tax disputes they want to resolve. So, yeah, people are, are certainly in, account, in touch with their accountants and financial advisors all the time. And they can certainly bring in tax lawyers to add some value in situations where they have legal work to be done or, or just otherwise need tax advice of any kind. So why don't we start at the beginning? You know, when you're starting out with a business and deciding how to structure a company, can you just give sort of the basics on the things to consider, whether you're incorporated or what the other options are and why you would go one way or the other? For sure. And it's an excellent question. So when we deal with clients who are thinking about starting a business, they have a few options. And what one you mentioned is you can incorporate a company, a corporation to carry on the business. And the corporation is a separate person. So it can own property, sue and be sued, have employees. And then you as an individual are, are the shareholder of the corporation. So that's one option. And another option is just to go in an unincorporated form. So With one person, we call that a sole proprietorship. It's just you as an individual start carrying on business and that's all you have to do. And if there are two or more persons, then you can form a partnership, which is 
again, an unincorporated entity. It's just a relationship between persons carrying on business together. So we have these sort of general options to start out. And I work in the tax field, but that doesn't drive all all the decisions. So there's some important non-tax considerations. One is that a corporation being a separate person provides limited liability protection, we say. So if you're carrying on a business with certain kinds of risks, and there's a chance that you might, you know, be sued or incur liabilities, and and you want those liabilities to sort of stay in the corporation and not come back to you personally, a corporation provides some protection. So in in summaries, a business with particular kinds of risk that maybe aren't totally insurable, or, or you just want to take that protection, a corporation might be the way to go. And also there are some, depending on the sector of business we're in, there might be some regulatory concerns. So in professions such as the various medical professions, physicians, dentists, optometrists, and anything else that's subject to particular rules or, or under, the, under the ambit of a regulator, there are rules on what sort of business structure you can set up. And some of these professions allow corporations under certain circumstances, some don't. So it may be a choice that depending on the type of business you're carrying on, you may be pushed sort of one way or the other. In that case in particular, can you give us just an example of somebody who might be a physician as an example, how you would structure their setting up of a business and how they can utilize that for helping plan their taxes? Yeah, of course. So a physician, the rules vary by province. And most provinces now do allow for physicians to set up medical corporations, but there are some special rules. So Again, the rules vary by province, but generally the rule is that all the voting shares have to be owned by the professional themselves. And certain close family members in most provinces can acquire non-voting shares if you want. So there, there is some opportunity, depending on the sector you're in, to bring in your family members as shareholders. And in the past, that can provide some significant tax benefits. Those benefits have been limited quite a bit by some recent legislation, but there are still still some opportunities where if you want your family to share in, in your practice, you have the ability to do so. And in terms of the decision for a professional, say, a position to incorporate, the big reason is that a corporation is a separate taxpayer. So if you are carrying on business in a corporation, that's not your personal income that goes straight to your personal income tax return. The corporation earns its own income and pays its own corporate tax at a low rate. And then it can take its after-tax income and pay dividends to you, which again are taxed at a low rate. So there is an ability if you're earning more income than you need to spend on your own personal consumption, you can earn it in a corporation, pay tax at a low rate, and then leave some of it behind. And so we say there's a tax deferral opportunity because you're able to pay tax at a lower rate and then invest it within the corporation and deal with distributing it out to yourself later on and, and manage the tax liability. So... Well, I think that's great information because often when we're talking about, you know, entrepreneurs and business owners, we may be thinking bricks and mortar, but when you're a physician, as an example, and it can be how many hundreds of thousands of physicians are there that could be setting up their own corporation to be able to take advantage of some of these things. A corporation is a separate taxpayer. So it pays its own corporate tax and then takes its after-tax profits. And if it wants, it can pay dividends to the shareholders. A partnership or a sole proprietorship really is a flow through or nothing for tax purposes. So it doesn't pay tax on its own account. The profits just flow through to the owners, the, the sole proprietor or the, or the partner. So what that means as an owner is if you're, if you're making profits in a, in a partnership or a sole proprietorship, you're paying tax on that at your own personal tax rate. So that varies by province. 
In Alberta, where I'm in, the personal tax rate is as high as 48% in the tax bracket. Whereas if you're earning the income in a corporation, the tax rate is much lower. It's There are different tax rates that apply, but between the different provinces in Alberta, the corporate tax rates are 11 or 23%. So there's a big differential between earning the income in a corporation and earning the income personally. And again, it's not an absolute tax savings because eventually you have to pay it out to yourself as a dividend and pay more tax. But it is a, a temporary tax savings or a deferral. As long as you leave the money in the corporation, you have more, more after-tax dollars to invest for the time being. Which means more and more reason to be planning ahead of time. You know, as soon as you're setting up your structure to get the advice from accountants and legal advice from yourself. So we've set up as a proprietorship or a corporation. At what point, you know, you think down the road, I may be looking to sell my business. What impact does it have on me depending on how I've structured my business in the beginning? And then the second part of that, I'd like to touch on the difference between selling shares and selling assets. Sure. So those are great questions. Your exit plan or how you plan to get out of the business and what the tax consequences are doing. So it's something that really, it's never too early to start thinking about it. So even in setting up your business and your initial structuring and deciding what structure to use and and how you're setting it up, even at that time, you should have in your mind, this is how I'm likely to sell and this, this is a tax consideration. So that might motivate me to make this decision as opposed to this decision. So it's something that you should be thinking about sort of right from day one, because sometimes we have clients come to us sort of on the eve of a sale and the deal's already on the table and they're saying, you know, how can I save tax and pay the least tax possible? And there are some things we can do at that point, but there are some things it's far too late to do because they had to be done much earlier. And once you're on the eve of a sale, there's only so much you can do because the business is what it is and you you can't necessarily totally change the structure and the tax consequences. So So um, we touched on just what a couple of examples of those things to do early might be. Yeah. So for example, some clients, again, subject to regulatory rules, They will maybe involve other family members as shareholders in order to spread out the tax burden and let those other family members realize some tax benefits on an ultimate sale of shares. Some people will use, say, a holding company, a family trust. There are all kinds of options depending on your tax objectives. And some of these options, you may be able to set them up at the outset when you're setting up the business, but it may be far too late to do it years down the road when you're selling the business in a month. There's just no ability to do it later. So. That's an example of something where clients do come to us sometimes and they say, hey, you know, can we bring in my children and spouse as a family member because I'm selling in a few months and I, I want them to sell shares and use their lifetime capital gains deduction or something else. And if they had done so earlier, they could certainly do that. But in some cases, it might be a little too late. It's never too early to think about it. And the best time to think about it is right at the beginning. And the second best time is now. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundle, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. So, you know, as we jot down the things to think about, and I'm putting myself in the shoes and, you know, our audience that's listening, they've got a business. Now they're in a position where they actually have been approached, whether or not they have planned for it or ready for it or what have you. 
how do you know how to structure the sale of a company? And can you kind of go through from both the buyer and the seller perspective, whether you do it with selling shares or assets and what the difference is? Sure. So that's an important question. And as you mentioned, if you're selling your business, generally, there are two types of sales. One is that, you know, provided you've incorporated a company to carry on your business, you can just sell the shares of the company. So the purchaser buys your shares and they just inherit the whole company as it is. There's no change to the company. They just, instead of you being the shareholder, they become the shareholder. So that's a share sale. And the second option is an asset sale where your company is the vendor and it sells all its assets to the purchaser or maybe not all of the assets, maybe a division or certain assets and they can pick and choose what they want and leave other things behind. But the assets that are being sold, the company will sell them to the purchaser entity. So those are sort of the two main options. Every circumstance is unique. And so it's hard to generalize what's the best for everyone. But a few considerations that come up over and over again are one very important thing for tax purposes is that for a private company owned by individuals, there's a very significant benefit called the lifetime capital gains deduction. And that allows generally an individual selling shares of a business corporation to shelter around $900,000 in capital gains entirely free of tax with some minor caveats, but that's the general gist of it. So that's very significant. And many people who have a business and are selling it in that sort of quantum and have a lifetime capital gains deduction available, that's their almost their sole motivating factor because they really want to realize that tax benefit. Capital gains are taxed 24, 25%, depending on the province. And so you can potentially save $225,000 or more if you can structure your sale as a sale of shares and, and take advantage of that benefit. And that's on the sale of shares? Yes, on the sale of shares only. That's not available on an asset sale. So for that reason and other reasons, many vendors will prefer to sell shares. But on the other hand, if it was up to the purchaser, most purchasers would likely prefer to buy assets. Unless there are some special considerations, you never know, there might be licenses that are difficult to assign to a purchaser, things like that. But all else being equal, a purchaser usually would prefer to buy assets for a few reasons. One is, as we mentioned, you can pick and choose what you want to buy. And if you don't want something, you just leave it behind. You're not buying the whole corporation. Another is that because you're not buying the whole corporation, you're also not buying all of its liabilities and, and contingent obligations and any sort of skeletons in the closet, whatever's in the corporation stays behind in the corporation because you're only buying its assets. And then for tax purposes, if you buy shares, you're only purchasing shares and nothing happens to the assets of the corporation. But if you're, if you're buying the assets themselves, then you buy the assets at fair market value. And so you buy them at a higher cost for tax purposes. And so as a purchaser, if you purchase assets, Usually you get that step up or bump in the cost of property, which creates a tax benefit because you can depreciate the cost of certain assets later on. So for a purchaser, most often, all else being equal, they would prefer to buy assets of a company and the vendor quite often would prefer to sell shares, again, depending on their circumstances and their tax position. So sometimes what we see is that there's this gap between the, the purchaser would pay more money for assets and the vendor would accept less money for shares. And so there's sort of an arbitrage to bridge the gap and, and arrive at a, an acceptable so, purchase price. You know, when we're thinking about selling our business, who do we talk to first, the accountant or the lawyer or both? I would say that you want to get both involved as early as possible. Lawyers and accountants both have their strengths. So the accountant can assist with the financial modeling and, you know, financial statement issues. The lawyer can assist with sort of what 
what legal considerations you should be considering. Depending on their strengths, your, your lawyer and accountant might have different levels of tax knowledge. So your lawyer and accountant can probably both help you there. But yeah, I think you want to get all your professionals involved as early as you can, because if you wait too long and something's already sort of finalized and, and then the deal's set in stone, then you're not necessarily leveraging all their expertise in the, the ways they can help you. You know, and one thing I'm, I'm just thinking about is, you know, can you give our listeners anything to think about, you know, what do they need to do when setting up their business for sale? What are the must-dos to make our business attractive for a buyer? Yeah, so as we said, it's never too early to think about structuring your businesses for sale in terms of what business structure you use in corporation partnership, who the shareholders are, whether you're using other vehicles like a family trust, a holding company. So you certainly want to set up from the outset with a structure you're comfortable with so that when that day does arrive, you're, you're sort of ready to go. Some other things that come up in, in a sale, you want to be careful about things like having all your personal cars and boats and airplanes and all those other things in the company that usually when you are selling your business, the purchaser's not want to, going to want to buy all that stuff. So you would just have to get it out of the company later. So you want to keep your business corporation somewhat clean so it's ready for sale. And if it has a bunch of these extraneous assets in it, you may have a fair bit of work to do to get them out, or or it might even limit your options as to uh, if you have too much junk in your company, maybe the purchaser isn't even interested in buying shares because it's such a mess. So, And how far back, you know, does the purchaser usually look two or three years back? You know, it's not good enough to just clean it up for six months, I'm assuming. The purchaser will want to do due diligence on your company, reviewing all kinds of things, financial statements, tax returns. They'll do public office searches to make sure you don't have any liens and you know outstanding environmental claims and all sorts of things. In terms of how far back they go, it probably depends on the scale of the deal and the sophistication of the purchaser and just the nature of your business. For smaller businesses, you're not going to see due diligence on the same scale. But if you're running quite a successful business being purchased by a large public company, there'll, there'll probably be some pretty extensive due diligence. So it depends on the business, but there's there's no question. Certainly, especially if you're thinking of selling shares, the purchaser probably will want to know everything in the company that might potentially come back to bite them after after they've bought the shares. Especially today, you know, you've got all this environmental law. And as you said, you have to have, I'm assuming, certain reporting things at your fingertips and available. If you can do, is there anything that can be done in advance in that area? Environmental reports and so on. Yeah, so environmental reports and things of that nature really depend on the sort of business. You know, if you're running businesses that involves releasing, you know, chemicals and fuels into the environment or something of, of that, obviously there are some special considerations. And, and you know, that's for that, you can certainly consult environmental consultants and lawyers. And from the tax and financial side of things, I think it's just if you're running your business properly from the outset and doing your proper financial statements and filing your taxes on the right basis and, and doing everything's properly, you'll just be ready for sale and, and ready for this due diligence process. And you're not worried about their, what they're going to find because you've already done it properly. What we do see is that sometimes people haven't sort of taken the time and effort to, to do the proper financial statements and corporate minute books and all these things from the outset. And then when they do come to the time when they get ready to sell, it seems like they've saved themselves some effort, but then you have to do it properly eventually. So... Absolutely. If you don't do it right the first time, you you have to do it right later on. So Scott, we talk a lot about succession planning and different ways to do that. How do we go about including our employees in our business? We hear the term ESOP, you know, employee share ownership plan. 
How does that work? And at what point in our business can we incorporate that? Yeah, so that's a big consideration for a lot of businesses. We see this especially in the startup space and particularly a lot of tech companies. They're in a situation where they're growing and not necessarily hugely profitable right at the outset and yet also wanting to attract and incent the best people. So one solution to that is share or share-based ownership. Just as you said, stock options are, are huge in the tax space and they can work really well for tax purposes. So we have a lot of startup companies who want to set up stock option plans. And that just allows you to issue stock options to your employees where they can have a right to acquire shares of the company. And sometimes in private companies, sometimes they have a right to acquire it at quite a low value. So they can just buy in for less than it's worth. And there may be some vesting conditions to make sure that they earn their way in over time. And sometimes in public companies, it's set up more as a fair market value option. So if your shares are trading at $10 today, you grant your employee options to buy shares at $10. And then hopefully the value of the company will increase over time and and the options will eventually become quite valuable. So that's a really good way for companies who are have strong prospects but aren't necessarily cash rich to um, really bring in the best people and compensate them appropriately without having to pay them a huge salary. You know, in today's day and age, it's all about attracting and retaining the best talent and people want to work and be part of building something. So it's a win-win scenario. For sure it is. And that's something that really works well for, like you say, it's a, it's a really competitive market. It's hard to get the best people. And it's really a must in some sectors that you really have to be set up to have your option plan in place. Other businesses, there are, there are other ways to go without an actual stock option plan. So some people will want to go more of a phantom stock or, or share-based option plan where you're paying your employees essentially cash compensation, but it's based on the value of your shares or the increase in the value of your shares or something else that derives in some way from ownership of shares without actually issuing actual shares to your employees because there are some corporate and governance concerns with bringing in more people as shareholders. So sometimes you can reward your employees without issuing actual shares if that's what works for you. But this is the area, you know, bringing in someone like yourself to help put that in place and do the planning up front would be a really important thing. And then disclosing it to the other shareholders and making sure that everybody knows what the structure of the company is moving forward. Exactly. So there's, for tax purposes, a stock option plan can really produce excellent results because, again, the rules vary a bit by the type of company, but depending on the type of company, you you can potentially issue stock options where the employee has no immediate tax liability. And so their tax liability is deferred until down the road when they've sold their shares and realized a tax benefit. Also, under certain conditions, your employee can essentially be taxed on their stock options at capital gains rates. So whereas their salary might be subject to tax at up to 48%, their stock options may only be subject to tax at, say, 24%. So there are really some excellent tax results if you structure these plans properly. And just like you said, your other shareholders need to know what's going on because when you issue stock options, you're diluting their shareholdings. So hiring the best people is good for them, but diluting their shares is not good for them. So Usually what happens is the stock option plan is subject to a mutually agreeable cap where maybe uh, 10% or 15% of the outstanding share capital is, is available for issuing options to employees. So We could have a talk just on that subject alone. You know, it's of interest to everybody, whether you're an existing shareholder, a new business existing, and to the employees. So we've touched on a lot of things today, Scott. Is there anything that you would like to, you know, dive into a little bit deeper that we haven't touched on today? 
Yeah, I guess just what comes to mind is we have a number of situations where um, we work with accountants who uh, aren't necessarily tax specialists. And so they work with their clients and come to us when they have maybe a large transaction on the go or something they could use our assistance with. And, And we've had some situations where they come to us and say, hey, this is what we're thinking of doing. The tax we'd have to pay is about X. And sometimes we can suggest some other options. And, you know, maybe you could think of reorganizing this in this way and, and doing this instead. And, and sometimes we can bring that tax bill way down. So Nobody likes to be dealing with it. But when you do it the right way and bring in the right professionals, you're keeping more of your hard-earned money in your own pocket versus, you know, just giving it to government unnecessarily. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it seems scary when you maybe don't understand the system, but in the tax system, I see more sort of opportunity than problems. So if you really know the rules and know how to navigate your way around them, there are really a lot of opportunities to keep more of your money. So, Well, Scott, well said. And I think this is the perfect place to end this episode. You know, tax, looking at it as an opportunity rather than the negative things that we think when we hear the word taxes. So thank you very much for being with us and for sharing your expertise. Please note that the conversation in this podcast is for informational and learning purposes and does not constitute legal, financial, or business advice. The Ask of Expert podcast is a production of Exit and distributed globally by the Sound Off Media Company. Looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.